this morning, if you will turn over to Genesis chapter 32, Genesis chapter 32, we are going to look at this title today called, When Desperate Prayer Touches God. When we get to that place where we are just, God, you've got to move, yeah. something happens. There's something miraculous. We, we, we touch God. When we get to that place, when we say, Lord, nothing else is going to do it. It's got to be you. We're going to see the life of Jacob. We're going to read 12 verses here, the first 12 verses. And we're going to see that desperate prayer touches God. Verse 1 says, And Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, unto the land of of Seir, the country of Edom, and he commanded them, saying, Thus shall you speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith, uh, said thus, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servants and women servants. I have, uh, I have sent to tell my lord that I may find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We have come to thy brother. And also he cometh to meet thee and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and herds and the camels into two bands and said, If Esau come to the one company and smite it, then the other company which is left shall escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saith unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred. And I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy for the least of all of the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good. And make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today believing you and trusting you, Almighty God, that, Lord, you still hear the prayers of your people. And, God, you still meet the needs of your people. God, when we get desperate from you, God, when we come to the end of ourselves, God, when we come to that place where nothing else is going to work, God, and we call out on you, mighty Lord, we know that it is you and by your mighty power and your mighty hand that you're able to deliver and do the mighty work. God, move this morning. Let us see that, God, we need you more than ever before. And God, bless this message. And God, anoint and draw us into the altar in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. When desperate prayer touches God. Amen. I've got a quote I want to put up for you this morning that John Wesley was talking about this issue of pressing in and getting serious with God. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does nothing but in answer to prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer is the key. Prayer is the key. Prayer is what we must 
see and we must have. Amen. When desperate prayer touches God. Amen. Hallelujah. We see this morning that Jacob had found himself. Listen, Jacob was, uh, Jacob was, had spent his whole life trying to accomplish everything he came up against in his own strength. Jacob's very name means supplanter, deceitful one. He did everything to try to con someone to get his way. And for the most part, it had worked. But every time it happened, it got him in trouble. And you see him running every time. Every time he got in trouble, he had to run. And it was because he was trying to do things in his own strength. God wants us to wait on him. God wants us not only to wait, but to depend upon him. Now, Jacob's been gone for several years. He had to run because of all the deceit in his life, because he cheated his brother out of his blessing. He cheated his brother out of the anointing of the firstborn. He had, he had deceived his father. He had done all these things, and his brother had determined, I'm going to kill him. My dad's getting old, and when he passes away, I'm going to mourn for a period of time. And he said, I will then kill my brother. But the, we know that uh, his father had told him and seen that, uh, that the blessing was upon him, and he gave him a charge. The last thing he said to him was, Son, go. Don't take a wife of, these, of, of the Canaanite people. You need to stay and take a godly wife from your own family. And he sent him to his brother-in-law's house to take a wife from his family and so that he would come back with a, a, a wife that was not part of these pagan nations. And so he sent him, and as he, Jacob had left, we see in the couple of chapters before this, we see that as he was leaving the land, he was laying there sleeping. And God gave him a vision of a ladder that stretched from heaven all the way down to earth. And it was angels coming and descending from the top to the bottom, and God was standing at the top, and he promised that he would be with him. He promised that he would bless him. And he wanted to put his trust in him. And so Jacob, when he woke up, we know that he set up a stone as a pillar. And he called that place Bethel because it was the house of God. Now it's been many years. He's been with, he's found someone that was uh, more deceitful than himself. His, his father-in-law was pretty, uh, was pretty clever himself. And even when he uh, fell in love with his, uh, his uh, youngest daughter, when he went to get married, he tricked him and gave him the oldest daughter because he wanted to make sure she got married first and he didn't realize. So he deceived him there. So he agreed to work seven more years for the one he loved the most. And so he uh, 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 actually ended up getting to, uh, to wed her. And so we see that his, his father-in-law was, was just as clever as he was. But God blessed him. But we see that he now is making his way back in this. And so Jacob, we see at the beginning of these, on this, this text, Jacob is coming to a place he's never been before. You see, he's getting ready to come back and face his brother, and he's not going to be able to deceive him anymore. He's coming back to a crisis in his life, and when he's coming back, he's kind of running from the situation with his father-in-law, and he's running back to his brother, and now he's called himself. He's in between a rock and a hard place, and he knows that his brother has vowed to kill him, and he knows if God doesn't do something, it's all over. You ever gotten to that place? And some, we're in some of those places now, aren't we? We're seeing some situations that if God doesn't move, 
We don't know what's going to happen. It, it, it's, it's not good. We've got to trust God. And that's where God wants us to get sometimes. He wants us to get to those places where we say, Lord, I haven't got any strength. I haven't got any wisdom. I don't have any ability in myself. I'm going to have to trust on you. And so that's the way we should be that way all the time. But we sometimes have to get into that place. And so we're going to look at a couple of things today. That desperate prayer touches God. Desperate prayer touches God when first, number one, you are helpless with God. You have to get to a place where in your strength, in your power, in your ability, you can't do it. That's the best place to be. If we learned to get there a lot quicker, we would save a lot of mistakes in our life, wouldn't we? We see in verse 11, it says, Deliver me, I pray thee, he's praying to God, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me with the mother, and the mother with the children. We see here that uh, in his life that he realizes that his brother has been angry with him. He took things from his brother. He took advantage of him when he was hungry one day and he took away his birthright because he was faint and getting ready to, to pass out and he felt like he was going to die. And so he said, give me your birthright and I'll give you some soup. And so he traded, what good is it going to do me if I die? And we see there that he uh, 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 traded away his uh, uh, a blessing for that. And then we see that he had cheated him even out. He was supposed to be the one that when he, his father got old and the firstborn, he was supposed to put his hand upon him and declare blessing upon his life. So we know that Jacob even desired that and he instead of getting, letting God give it to him, he, we, he went in and deceived his father to look like his brother and to feel like his brother and to smell like his brother. And his father's who eyes, eyesight was really bad. He just uh, was deceived and he put the blessing upon him. Yeah. And we see that he had plenty of reason to be fearful of Esau. For Esau was a very violent man. And he knew that he would do what he said that he would do. But we see here that he was fearful because in himself... He was helpless. In our lives, so many times, we get to the places to where we can't do it ourselves. We can't fix it in ourselves. We don't have the ability to do it ourselves. And that's the exact place that we can come to God and say, just like that woman that had, uh, not only Dad talked about the issue of blood, but that Seraphonician woman that come to the Lord and said, my daughter, she's sorely vexed. Please touch my daughter. And he said, he kept pushing her back. And he kept giving her a reason to think that it wasn't going to be met. And she kept pressing in. And she kept pressing in. Why? Because she couldn't do it in herself. She'd done everything she could do in her own strength. She had no ability. Her daughter's life was too important. And she kept pleading with him. And she kept hanging on. And she wouldn't give up. And finally, we see that the Lord said, Oh, I'm amazed at your faith. Your need is met. He met her need. Why? Because she was helpless before God. And she would never let go. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 We see that God moves when we're desperate with Him and helpless before Him. You know what else? We see God move and, and desperate prayer touches God when you are hopeful with God. You know, let me tell you something. Where's your hope? Is our hope in a man? Is our hope in a government? Is our hope in... In, in a, a, a paycheck that comes on Friday? Is there a hope in someone that we can see? No, our hope needs to be in God. And when we get to that place 
where we say, Lord, I don't want my hope in nothing else but you. That is the place when God can move. Jacob had reason to have hope in, with God. We see first he had hope due to the, God's presence. If you, something that you, you'll it'll just really just kind of pass you by here if you don't watch it. If you'll remember when Jacob left that, uh, that, that situation with Bethel when he left. It was a vision that God gave him and he let him know that his presence was there. And he let him see, as I told you, that as he left the land to go to Laban, we see that God gave him that dream and that vision to where he seen the angels sending and descending and God promising to be with him. And God was saying, "My hand, I'm here. My hand's on your life. I want to do things. And it was the first time that he said, God, if you'll be with me, if you'll bring me back in peace, I'll serve you. I will give you a tenth of everything I have. He made a commitment to God because God revealed to him he's there. There's a supernatural world that we can't see. And God's at work in our lives. If we could only see it, what an amazing thing. But we see here, and if you don't watch when you're reading the first verse there I read to you, you'll just pass it right on by. But what an amazing thing. So he had a dream, a vision when he left. He's now come back. He's entering back into the land, the promised land, the land that he promised that he would bless and give to Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. We see as he enters the land, something happens. In that verse 1, it says, In Jacob, he just left Laban, who put up a stone and says, Listen, I'm fearful, basically. I'm fearful you're God. But let me tell you something. You, 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 you've been deceitful to me, and I've been deceitful to you, and I'm raising up a, a pillar here between us, and this is kind of a boundary that says, Don't you dare come back toward me, and I promise I won't dare come across this point to you. So it was a spot that says you need to stay on your side and I'll stay on my side. So we see that it says that he left him right before this verse. He's moving now toward his biggest fear in his life, his brother. And we see that God who had left him and said I'll be with you is going to let him know one more time. I'm still here. I'm still here. You're getting ready to face your greatest fear. But I want you to know right up front. It says in verse 1, And Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. The angels of God. God met him. Four words in the original Hebrew that says that God sent his angels and he seen them. This, this wasn't a vision. This was, he was walking and all of a sudden God opened up the heavenlies and he could see that there was a heavenly host. And it says, and, but there's only two times in scripture that that exact wording is used. And the other one was when he seen him in Bethel. So we see that God's letting him know as he comes back in. God, let me tell you something. God doesn't forget what he's going to do. God never fails when he promises you something. You might have been a few days down the road. You might think, has God forgotten what he said he was going to do in my life? But God's letting him know the moment he comes right back into the land. He's letting him know, hey, I've not forgot what I promised you. I'm going to be with you and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to be the one that's going to give you your help and strength. And so he gives him this. And so Jacob sees them and he said, this is God's host and he called the name of that place Mahaniam, which means two camps. And he's saying, here's my camp, and here's the blessings that God's given me. But hey, I'm not alone here. I've got a heavenly Father, and the angels, the heavenly host, is here that's available in my life. It made me think of 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elisha was in Samaria, and the enemy, uh, enemy's army was around the gates, and they was getting ready to come in, and they were asking for one man. They want Elisha. 
that he's been a problem for the king and they're coming after him. And this, and this servant of Elisha, fearful, his knees are trembling, he's quivering. What are we going to do, master? What are we going to do? They're at the gate and they're asking for you. And they're not going to just take you. I'm, I'm hearing what he's thinking. They're going to kill me because I'm your servant. So we're in trouble. What are we going to do? Well, Elisha wouldn't shook it off. He wasn't tore up. Why? Because he knew there was a heavenly host that he, could, that he knew of that no one else could see. And so this troubled servant, he finally said, Lord, would you just open up his eyes? I'm paraphrasing. Open up his eyes. Let him see what, what I can see. And he opened it up and he says, the hills were filled with chariots of fire. The heavenly host was all around. Listen, sometimes when you're going through your greatest trouble, when you're going through your greatest problem, you feel like the enemy wants you to think, this is it, it's all over with. I told you not to put your confidence in God, and God is sitting there saying, no, let me tell you something. If you could just see into the heavenlies, you'd realize that my children, my children are surrounded by heavenly hosts. I've not forgot you. My hand's on you in the middle of the storm greater than it is any other time in your life. I've never forgot and I'm right here to deliver you and so we see that God delivered Elisha and God is letting Jacob know don't forget me I'm the one that's got this and this isn't going to be something you can get yourself out of this is going to be something you're going to see and it's going to be me that does it so we see he was hopeful due to God's presence he was also hope, hopeful due to God's promises he made him promises wouldn't it be nice if God made us some promises? Oh, yeah. Well, he has. Yeah. Amen. You, this, this book right here is full of several thousand promises that God has made you and me. And so God wants us to remember these. And God wants us to memorize yeah. these. And God wants us to reiterate them back to him and tell him, you know what, it's important for us to know what God said. Because if the enemy can cause you not to know what God promised you, he can steal from you. But when you know what God said he'll do from you, and that enemy comes running against you, you can say, let me tell you something, enemy. Let me tell you what God promised. And you tell him, God, you promised to be my deliverer. God, you promised to be a healer. God, you promised to be with me when all else has fallen. You're the one that's promised. And so we quote those back. It's not to remind God. It's to remind us. It's to take authority where we, and so we see that he's, what is Jacob doing? He's faced, he's scared to death. You can, if you can, I tried to put myself in his spot a little bit this weekend. Let me tell you something. He was trembling when this happened. He heard, he, had, he, th he still thought he was a little clever. He sent messengers and let them know that, hey, I got gifts coming your way. And he was just kind of see what was going. And when they come back, instead of them giving the message, said, your brother said, come on. Just come on. He's going to set up a table or something for you. They said, and they come back and they said it wasn't what he expected. They said, he's coming to meet you. And he's not alone. He's got 400 men with him. Wow, that's an army. He's in trouble. All of a sudden he realizes his plans of trying to shenanigan and try to get his way through deceit is not going to work this time. So we see that he called out on God who was, listen, that's the key, call out on God. Some people run from God when things are going bad. Run to God when things are going bad. That's who is your help. That's the one who's promised to be with you and never forsake you. Verse 9, he tells God, and Jacob said, Oh God of my father Abraham his grandfather and God of my father Isaac 
The Lord which said unto me, this is what he said to him in Bethel, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will dwell well, or will deal well with thee. Verse 12, he goes on and says, And thou saidest, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. What is he saying? He's saying, God, let me tell you something. I'm facing a battle. I'm facing the scariest thing in my life. Lord, I don't know how this is going to turn out. It's a fearful thing. I can't fix it this time. But he says, but God, here's what I'm going to lean on. My hope is in you because you are above it all. And you promised you's going to be with me. You promised that you was going to bless me. And God, that means today too. And God, you can't fulfill what you promised to do to me if today he wipes us out. So God, I'm holding you to your word. It's important to do that. George Mueller, a, a, a mighty uh, man of old uh, that, that, was, that founded scores and scores of orphanages that just trusted God, never begged for money, fed thousands and thousands of children. And he did it with one step, prayer. Every time. He would run out of food sometimes. He'd go to prayer. And God would answer every time. God took, did the miraculous in his ministry. In those thousands of orphans. Was able to see the mighty miracle working of God through this man. He made this quote. He says, I take the promises of the word. And I argue with the Lord. Not in order to convince God. But to convince myself. He said, you see, as we repeat the promises God has so graciously given to us regarding provision, health, peace, salvation, understanding, guidance, direction, we are reminded of them ourselves. That's why we come to Bible study. That's why we take in the scriptures. The word is our bank account. And we're far, far richer than we think. We need to learn that God is faithful. The enemy will come to you as he's come to me and as he's come to everyone else in this room. As he come to, to uh, Jacob this morning. And we see that the enemy will come to you and say, no, that's not to you. These promises, it's not you. You're not worthy. You're, not, you're going to see in a minute he's going to admit that. I'm not worthy. And me and you, we're not worthy. You know what? Let me give you a fact. Let me save you a lot of worrying. God doesn't give you things because of how worthy you are. He doesn't give you things because just how good you are. He gives you things because of how good He is. And because of how faithful He is. And He wants us to trust and put our confidence in Him. So we can have hope in Him today because He's given you promises. He gave him a couple of sentences and he held on and seen God move. God's given you thousands of promises you can hang on to today. And he's never failed yet. He's never failed yet. Hallelujah. You know, hope is very important. You know that? I read, I read a little article about how important hope is. There was a researcher several years ago that did an experiment on hope with laboratory rats. He took two tubs of water and he separated them. And he took the mice and he put the rats and he split them up and he put them into two tubs. One of the first tub he put the mice in or the rats in and he put them in there and he didn't, they let them tread water and he didn't do anything else, just let them keep treading. And he watched and watched. And after a short period of a couple of hours, they everyone drowned. But there's something different in the other tub. 
He put them in at the same time. But every hour, he took them and he set them out just for a second, just for a few minutes, and then he put them in, back in. They treaded for another hour, fighting to live. They took them out. And I know this is horrible. But they took them out and set them off for just a couple of minutes. And then he put them back in. And, and he found out after 24 hours of putting them in, just a little break, back in for not a one of them drowned. What was the difference? Hope. They hoped. They kept saying to themselves, if I keep on just a little longer, I'm going to get help. I'm going to get some help. And they held on. And they were able. Listen, the enemy wants to cut you off and to let you think there ain't no help. But the word of God says we've got a very present help in the time of trouble. And it's our Lord and Savior. Amen. So we can put our confidence in him. We need to have hope in the one that is our hope. Our eternal hope, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we see here that oh, when we uh, are desperate, prayer touches God. When we're helpless with God and when we're hopeful with God. You know what else desperate prayer touches God? When you are honest with God. When we get in the presence of God, there ain't no fooling Him. He knows us. I can get up here and you, you may not see that I'm fearful. You may not see that I'm weak. You may not see things in my life. And you can put on fronts for other people. But God, you can't put on one for Him. God don't want us to keep trying. J Jacob had done everything. Look at his life. There was at one time in his life, up to this point it seems like, that he did trust God for any. I made a commitment to God. He left Bethel. Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put my confidence in you. I'm going to tithe to you. I'm going to do all these things. And he kept relying on his own strength. In fact, when he got back, he's sending things to his brother, trying to appease him to save his own life. But he realizes, hey, this don't look good. 400 men, every one of those probably packing a sword. Hey, he didn't send, he didn't send his, it wasn't his wives and his children. Children and his, he sent, what are these men coming for? What are they going to do? And he's confident they're going to annihilate him. We see that we need to be honest with God because we have no ability in ourselves. He finally become honest with God when he said in verse 10, he says, I am not worthy. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast shewed unto thy servant. This next section says, for with my, in, in, in some translations, it's got, it says, for with only my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. You know what he's saying? He said, Lord, when I left 20-some years ago, when I left to go, I walked over with nothing but my staff. That's all I came over these mountains with. I had nothing. I was poor. I didn't take anything with me. I didn't have any children. I didn't have any cattle. I didn't have any property. I didn't have these wives. I didn't have all these things that you've blessed me with. But now, Lord, you've done your part. You've been faithful to me. Because now, look, God, you're the one that's been faithful. I'm not worthy of you. My grandfather trusted you. My father trusted you. And, Lord, I keep trusting myself. I'm not worthy of you. But, Lord, I want to let you know that the very fact that I'm come across with such a great and mighty surplus, it ain't got anything to do with me, truthfully. It's all because of you. He became honest with God. We, he was 
having to be, you know, his whole life had been such deceit. Even from his birth, we, he gets his, his name because his, his older brother Esau came forth. So he was holding on to his heel. No, I want to be first. You know, from the very beginning, it was a sign of things to come. And, and even before he was born, there was a struggle inside. And the mother went to, the mother had to ask God, what in the world is going on here within me, Lord? She appealed to God, Lord, what in the world is going on? And he let her know, inside your womb is two nations, and they are going to strive against each other. And he gave her a little preview that his, the dad didn't evidently get. Because he said, the, the, the older is going to serve the younger. Yeah. And, 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 his, and so God was letting him know. God already had this plan. He didn't have to, Jacob didn't have to do it himself. God would have gonna done, it, done it for him. So we see even at birth he was showing his sign. That's where he got his name. He used deceit to get Esau's birthright. He used deceit to get the blessing from his elderly father. He used deceit to gain flocks from his father-in-law. He used, even used deceit to get him out of every single trouble he had gotten into. And he was trying to do it again. Do you know he was trying to appease and, and tried to connive? And even, even on this day, he sent over 550 animals to his brother to try. Maybe this will appease him. Maybe it will appease it was just He gave away a lot of stuff he didn't have to give away because God already had it under control. Hey Amen. We've got to be honest. Be honest with God. So I, you know what the best thing with prayer is? Is when you get in that presence with God and you just finally, you realize God knows me. God knows me better than I know myself. And all of a sudden, you just break down in His presence and say, God, I ain't worthy. I ain't nothing. Every good thing, and you start thinking of all the good things God's done in your life, and all of a sudden, strength just, you all of a sudden, tears. I, listen, we pray till you cry sometimes. Dig in there in the altar till God's presence comes over you so powerfully that God breaks your heart and, and you feel His presence so strong. And so we need to get in the presence of God and become honest with God so that God can move. So we need to be calling out on Him. Desperate prayer touches God. Amen. Hallelujah. Touches Him when you're uh, helpless with God. You're hopeful with God. You're honest with God. And finally, desperate prayer touches God when you're holding on tight with God. You've got to get desperate and say, God, I ain't letting go. How many times has God been ready to do exactly what you wanted Him to do or needed Him to do? But we get up because it's been, I've been there too long. Three minutes. Three minutes. I, as a kid, I, it was just, a, it was a, that's what, it's why it took me so long to get through the Holy Spirit. When I, I was 12, you know, I was 12, it took me a long time, but, uh, but I got saved when I was seven, and uh, went to youth camp at 12, and I'd learned, you know, you can learn church. You ever know that? You can learn, you can learn, you learn, everybody else put your hands up, you put your hands up, and you, you go through the motions. People pray, you get down and pray. And then all of a sudden you learn, you're just kind of looking to make sure everybody's feet still around you at the altar. You know, we used to have a big old altar at First Pentecostal. And if you didn't want, you'd be there. Now, I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to make sure I wasn't the last one up. So you could learn how to go through it. Pray a little bit, think a little bit, look a little bit, and you can go through the motions. So when I got to the youth camp on that uh, first night and, and everybody went to the altar, like three, four, five hundred young people went to the altar. It was a big altar. And I was praying. I went through my normal three to five minutes praying and stuff. And then I got up and I realized there's about three of us up and the rest were still down. <laughs> and I went, wait, wait a minute, whoa, wait a minute, something's different. These are young people. What are they doing? Yeah. Went to getting up. And then I, by the second night, I was in there with them. And the third night, I was getting hungry. And by the fourth night, I got the Holy Ghost. 
And so we need to, we've got to get in a place. There's times in your life you've got to get to a place where you get a hold of God and you say, I ain't letting go. I ain't letting go. You've got to touch me. You've got to meet this need. You've got to do it. We see that all through Scripture, that, that woman with the issue of blood. I, I'm, I'm pressing through. I ain't going to quit till I touch him. This, 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 uh, uh, there's so many, even in our, in our time, we know of many times when, when uh, God moves, when we get to that, but you know, B.H. Clendenin, uh, that was a mighty man of God, he, he uh, passed away a few years ago, but when he was early, in his young, maybe his 30s, 20s, 30s, he had a massive heart attack. And God told him that he, he was having a heart attack. And not God told him he was having a heart attack. He knew he was, that something was wrong. He was having some real problems. He was younger. He could have been 30. I don't know what he was. But he uh, felt like, he said he felt like God said to him, you go to the hospital and you're a dead man. And he did something. I'm not telling you to do this. This is just, this is, this is powerful. But we know that, uh, but he said he felt like he needed to go to prayer. And he told his wife, now I'm telling you, my wife wouldn't have let me go, got through with this. She would have gone along with this. He told his wife, said, now listen, honey, I want you to take me over to this motel. And I want you to leave me there. And don't you come back till I call you. And uh, Lord, I'm going to go here and I'm going to pray. Took his Bible, nothing to eat, maybe some water. And he went. Told the motel every day, just leave me some towels at the door. Don't bother me. He sat there and started reading that word of God. He said the devil was telling him in his mind, they're going to smell something in that room in a few days. You ain't going to make it. You're a fool for doing this. But he hung in there and he said, I ain't giving up. I know what God said to me. He kept reading. Ten days later, he gets over. He's reading it. And I wish I could remember the verse. I should have. If I thought I was going to do it, I'd have looked it up. But he got to a verse in Psalms that's talking about that God's a healer and a deliverer. And he said he was laying there on that bed. And he said he read that verse that God said he was a healer and a deliverer. He said all of a sudden, he said, I felt a hand. It sure as day reached inside my rib cage and get a hold of that heart. And he said something squeezed that heart. And he said the moment he squeezed, he said, I knew I was healed. He said, I leaped up into the air. And he says, when I landed back on that bed, he said, I broke every slat in that bed. <laughs> he said, I opened up the front door of that motel and I'm running down the hall screaming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. <laughs> years later, years later, he had to have for a life insurance policy for the church there, he had to have a physical. And so they did a complete physical on him. And, and this was like 20 years later. And, and they checked him out. And they come back. That report says, B.H. Uh, Clendenin, Burt's his name. Burt, you got the youngest heart I've ever seen. So well, we can see there's a scar where there's been something before. But you got the youngest heart I've ever seen. He said, well, it's only 20 years old. And that's, why it's so, that's why it's so young. He said, the Lord healed me. Amen. And it wasn't his heart that took him out. <laughs> In his 80s. It did, that's, that's not what took him out. <laughs> Amen. We got to get to a place where we hang on. God's looking for people that will say, Lord, I'm depending on you. And I'm not going to trust anything else but you. And I'm not going to let go. It says in verse 22, it says, And he rose up that night and he took his two wives and his two maid or women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the Ford Jabbok. And he took them and he sent over them over the brook. And he sent over that he had. And what was left, and Jacob was left alone. 
And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh. And the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He didn't know. Listen, this, this is really a phenomenal passage because it's dark. He sent his family and over everything that he had. Now he's at the final stages. He knows in just a few hours he's going to face his brother. He's almost inside. And so he's left there and he knows I've got to get a hold of God. I've got to, something's got to happen. I'm going to have to press in. Something's going to happen. And he sent everything that he had across and he's left there alone. And little did he know how powerfully God was going to show up. It says, and the word here is there wrestled with him a man. See, we see here, we see it says that he wrestled. All of a sudden, it doesn't give us the details. It doesn't tell. He's over there travailing with God, probably saying, Lord, what am I going to do? Lord, I've, I've used every method I know. I'm in trouble. I'm going to die in a few hours. You promise. And is he there? all of a sudden, a hand takes hold of him. And all of a sudden, there's a wrestling match. It's talking about a wrestling. It's talking about the word that it uses here means dirt. They're on the ground. They're really, you ever wrestle around a little bit? Uh, boys knows all about what I'm talking about. Man, I'm telling you what. I used to do a lot of that stuff when I was younger. In fact, I got in big trouble when Dad came home a few times and found us locked up. But we, you, you like to get dirty and wrestle around and pin somebody down and make them uh, beg to let them up or beat on them or whatever. It just, I understand. He's wrestling, but let me tell you something. Boy, he's got a hold of something. He doesn't. I mean, this, and some, some uh, riders say that this could have lasted for six or seven hours. I, don't even, I can't imagine how unbelievably tired he is. And he's hanging on, and he's fighting, and he's wrestling. But now something's different. You know what? Isn't there, you ever been in an altar when it felt like what you were going through? You're wrestling. You're, you're calling out on God, Lord, I've got to touch. Lord, you've got to move. God, there's a struggle going on inside of me, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Hang on. Don't let go. We see that he kept wrestling. All of a sudden, he determines. You know what he determines? That he's got, that he, what's holding on to him and he's holding on to is not just a man. Because when it comes dawn and the sun is just beginning to rise and he's just enough light, we're going to be able to see each other. Finally, this, this man that he's wrestling with says, let me go. For sun is getting ready to come up. And, I will, and he says that when he touched him, it didn't say he hit him. It didn't say he twisted him. He just touched the ball joint of his thigh. And just with a finger, his thigh was out of joint. All of a sudden, this, he realized, this is no normal man that I'm fighting with. This has to be a heavenly host. This has to be God that I'm dealing with. And then we see that instead of, he, can't, he has no power now. He has no power to wrestle and fight anymore. You know the only thing he can do? He can't stand up on that leg. He can't use that leg. He's now powerless. But all he can do now is hang on with all of his might. And he's saying, let me go. And he's saying, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Because across that river, I'm done. I know who you are now. I know who you are. I seen you earlier. I seen that you were here. 
And now you're here again. And I'm here with you. And Lord, if you're letting me touch you, that means you can bless me. And God, I'm not going to let go of you until you do the miraculous. My, Lord, if I let go, I either die here or I die across that river. Right. And he died to himself there. All of a sudden, it's no more in myself. It's no more what he can do in himself. He needs a heavenly God to help him. And he held on. And that's the point he needed to get to. He could have got there a whole lot earlier. He could have got there a lot earlier. But it took him that many hours to get done with himself. And to get to the place where he just said, Lord, you've got to touch me. And we see that God responded when he did this. I'm about done. It says in verse 27, it says, And he said unto him, What is thy name? You think he didn't know his name? He did. There's a reason he asked him. He wants to know, Who, who are you? <laughs> you want me to bless? Who are you? Let's find out who you are. Are you the same person that left here and came back? Is, are you still the deceitful one? He has to admit. And he said, Jacob, I'm deceitful. I'm a supplanter. I'm deceit. I, I've, tr I've tricked my way through life. And because he admitted who he was, he was honest with him. He said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. Wow, what a name. What does that name mean? A prince with God. A prince with God. And it says, he'll no longer be called Jacob, but now you're never going to be the same. Every time you drag that leg, you're going to remember what I did in your life. But your name is Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Yes. You've got your need. Yes. God's come through from you. Why? You wouldn't let go. You wouldn't let go. He goes on to 29 and says, Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after me? Why do you have to ask after me? You don't need to know who I, you should already know who you're holding on to. And, and he said, and he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. God did the miraculous in his life. He never was called the same. He never walked the same. He never acted the same. This was a crossroads, a turning point in his life. He would have never got there if he hadn't gone into the trial. He would have never seen this victory if he hadn't had to face what he couldn't do in his own strength. So when we get there, it's the opportunity God wants to be able to do the miraculous in your life. God can do the greatest thing in your life in the trouble, the greatest trouble that you face. We see that God is faithful. And it's not just for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Oh, isn't it wonderful? Hey, just He had this experience with God. And when God talked about him in the future, who did God say? God identified. He didn't just say, God's my God. But later in Scripture, the Word of God says, the God of Abraham and of Isaac. And he says, I'm the God of Jacob. Yeah. Why? He trusted in him. Yeah. He trusted in him. He held on till he got what he needed. So we need to learn from this today. We need to become 2021. We need to become desperate in prayer till we see God move. You believe he'll move? You believe he'll move? He will if we'll just trust him. Priscilla, if you would come. Let's stand this morning. And I, I appreciate you being here. And I thank God that he, he wants to move. He wants to work. If we only could see what he wants to do. If we'd only hang on to those promises. He loves you just as much. 
He hears your prayer just as much. Don't let the enemy lie to you and think that God doesn't care and God's not moving and God's not working. Just hang on to God. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your help and strength and power. Almighty God, for your promises. And God, we thank you that, Lord, you're aware of every single heart, every single life, every single situation. And God, your promises are as real today as they've ever been. And God, we need you to move now more than ever before. God, we need to see your power. We don't have the ability to fix these situations. We don't have wisdom to get out of the situations we find ourselves. But God, we can find a hope, a peace, a strength that we've never experienced before because we need you more. And God, as we lean upon your strength, as we get our eyes upon your face, as we depend upon you to be our help and strength, deliverance, and mighty God that will take us through, that's when we will find the greatest victories and power in our lives. But God, it starts for putting our complete trust in you. God, let us quit depending on ourselves. God, let us quit waiting for somebody else to do it. And God, let us be a church that gets a hold of you. God, I thank you for your mighty power. I thank you for your mighty promises. Oh, you're a good God. You're a good God, Lord. Anoint this altar, Lord, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 Let me tell you something this morning. This morning as we open this altar, I want you to know, I want those that are willing to say, Lord, Lord, I need you to move. God, my complete trust is in you. Lord, I am showing, I'm putting up my pillar this morning to show that God, that you are on the throne, that God, you're aware, and God, you're going to move in my life. Lord, I'm not depending on me anymore. Without you, I can't do it. Almighty God, I thank you, Lord, for your mighty power. Lord, if you're in this place this morning and you're willing to say, I I need him. I've got to have him move. I I want to depend upon him. Hey, we can find, we can socially distance, but we can make a way in a place, either out in the pew, out in the, the aisle, up around the front or somewhere. But I challenge you to come and stand with hands uplifted and say, God, here's the pillar that I put my confidence in you, Lord. You're the one I put my trust in. You're the one that I put my confidence in. And I'm looking to you, Lord. Your promises are true in my life. Oh, this altar is open this morning. For those that are willing to say, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Needy of you. Needy of you.